We're going to go to 2 Kings, going to go to chapter 8. I want to read uh, first uh, six verses. Uh, this conversation is called Back to the Future, okay? And uh, we're not going to any references to the movie, uh, but it's called Back to the Future, 2 Kings 8, verses 1 to 6. It is a story that probably I haven't ever preached from. It's a story that I... I'm sure that I've read, or I'm sure if I've read, I haven't really noticed it uh, before. Uh, But this particular time, it stood out to me. And so when things like that are elevated off the page to me, then it's it's a sign that God wants this to uh, have my attention. And and therefore, I wanted to share what I felt felt that God was saying to me through it uh, with with you and then with Newbridge next week, actually, okay? And so here's here's the word of the Lord. Here's the verses. If you've got a Bible, open that up. If it's on a tablet, get it going there as well. Or if you're not prepared, the words are behind me on the screen. Now, Elisha, who's a prophet, okay? I love Elijah and Elisha, that whole story thing. If I had two characters in the Old Testament, they'd be hard to beat for me. Bit of drama, bit of madness, bit of earthly humanity with the two, isn't it? Kind of with a touch of that sort of crazy edge. I like a, like a bit of edge, don't you? We're Irish, we like a bit of... Anyway, okay. Now, Elisha had said to the woman whose son he'd restored to life, please read that story in chapter four of the same book. Go away with your family and stay for a while wherever you can because the Lord has decreed a famine in the land that will last seven years. The woman proceeded to do as the man of God said and she and her family went away and stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. Verse three. At the end of seven years, she came back from the land of the Philistines and went to appeal to the king for her house and land. The king was talking to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, that was Elisha, and said, tell me about all the great things Elisha has done. And just this incredible coincidence, okay, just as Gehazi was telling the king how Elisha had restored the dead to life, the woman whose son Elisha had brought back to life At that moment, everybody, amazing, came to appeal to the king for her house and land. Gehazi said, this is the woman, my lord. This is her. This is the son whom Elisha restored to life. And the king asked the woman about it, and she told him. Then he assigned an official to her case and said to him, give back everything that belonged to her, including all the income from her land from the day she left the country until now. So Father, we pray, Lord, that you would use this message really at this moment to encourage someone in the room. Someone, Lord God, who needs to know that you see them, that you have heard them, and that you are for them and working things out on their behalf. And so God, be generous to us as you always are in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. I've discovered, you know, as most of you will have, or some of you are on the journey with the Lord, some of you have been on the road for quite a while with, with the Lord. I, either way, you will discover that when the Lord moves you into new places, okay, it's usually accompanied with kind of loss of some kind, of separation, a little bit of pain, and not just a little confusion, okay? W- would you agree, okay? Following the Lord sometimes on the journey can sometimes be, huh? Yes, okay. Sometimes we think it's like skip tiptoeing through the tulips, okay, and wafting the lavender and bees landing on your fingertips and you know, and but it's not quite just like that, okay? And and, and the reason I've discovered I, I, I came to faith in nineteen ninety eight. And the reason I've discovered for this kind of 
challenge and pain and confusion and things as you go through life with the Lord sometimes. And the reason I've discovered is this. Is I discovered in my own life that the 1998 version of me, okay, would not be able to handle the present version of God's vision for me. I wasn't ready. There was a version of me then that didn't relate to God's vision for me now. And, and the journey that God takes us on is, is a journey of many things, of knowing Him, but it's a journey of preparing us for the vision that He has for our lives. Amen? There are seasons in this adventure of faith, all of you know that, when the current version of you won't always fit the next stage of God's vision for you. So there's this relationship between the current version of you and then God's vision for you. And very rarely do they match at the same time. And so obedience is, is kind of the journey. Obedience is the key, everyone. And it leads you and me into places that we would never imagine. Yes, you, you know what in life, and, and it's God has been so good. We've been so many places and things and encountered things that we'd never really imagined. But yet running parallel to the call of God, and there's no amen for this, but it's the cutting of God. And, and the kind of two, they, they run parallel. And in the call of God and in the cutting of God, he, he's shaping you and, and molding you into the next version of you for the next part of his vision for you. Is that, is that making sense? You kind of know what I'm saying. In the story today, in, in, in 2 Kings, we meet for the second time the Shunammite woman. She's already experienced this incredible miracle. And I want you to, to go home and, and read about it in between, uh, now on Tuesday because we're starting a new Bible plan on Tuesday. Yes? Uh, okay, 2 Kings chapter 4. And it's the kind of the story, uh, and I'll go, I'll go into it later on, but Elisha now goes back to her and he warns her of an incoming famine. And, and it's, it's actually the famine's all about God's heart towards Israel. It's part of the, the rest restoration process, okay? And he tells her, I need you to leave for seven years. Don't come back until the end of seven years. And to be fair to her, off she goes. Doesn't, I would be questioning that. I'd be looking to the long-term forecast. I'd be on Twitter. Anybody else going, did you get this message? But she just packs the bags, up we go, and away, all right? And she does it. And and I want to talk to people today. I think this is what for, for, for God's heart for some people in the room today, who he wants the attention of. And, and I've got to be honest, I accept it could be a narrow band of people here this morning, okay? But I want to talk to people who have heard the word of the Lord, who have accepted the word of the Lord, have moved on the word of the Lord, and obeyed to the nth degree, okay? And you would have thought by now, your obedience would have paid off. Some of you are in the room and you are thinking, I've obeyed, I've moved, I've done all the things that God has asked of me, and yet there's been no sign, no tangible sign that my obedience has been rewarded, or there's no sense in my life of, of God answering what he revealed to me. You thought by now your obedience would have brought you out of the wilderness. You would have thought by now that you would be into the new version of you and ready for the next stage of God's call for your life. And 
And yet here you are, you have no answer, you have no movement. And because of the lack of movement from the Lord, it would seem, there is pain, there is frustration, there is anger, there is maybe the birth of spiritual apathy. Maybe you are fed up with this, the whole idea of starting and starting another new Bible reading plan. And it's the summer and we're going to read four books in four weeks. And the thought of that is like, no way, okay? And so you are feeling stuck. And you know what? It's not even because you've done anything wrong. It's actually, Lord, because I obeyed. I did what you wanted me to do. I stepped out. I walked out. I walked away, whatever. Lord, it's been years. I've never known a time for you to take this long to answer a prayer. I've never known, Lord, you to take this long to respond to a promise that you have made me. Is there anybody in the room? Well, look, the Shunammite woman can help us, okay, to know what to do and to maybe give insight to what's really happening around your world and around your faith in this moment. And also, I hope, two or three little things that really help you navigate this season of faith. And here's the first thing that we learn from this story that's going to help you as you are obedient in the word of the Lord, but still feeling that sense of wilderness, okay? The first thing is this, and this is so important, everybody. It's why I want to stand here. It's this, don't force your comeback. Amen? Don't force your comeback. I don't know if you've ever been injured uh, any sports people in the room over the years you've been playing or weights or the soccer or GAA, what, whatever you've been doing, you've been injured, okay? And if you're anything like typical sort of athletes or not even like elite, but you're just, you love sports, you love whatever, when you're injured, it's all you are doing to wait till this injury goes away so you can get back at it, back at the gym, back training, back warming up, back with the lads, back with the team, just back whatever it is, okay? And if you're anything that's pretty much normal, okay, sometimes when we are injured, we wake up some morning and you go, oh, it doesn't feel too bad. Like there's a wee twinge there. If I took two Cocodamol, I don't think I'd feel that. Maybe I'll head back to the gym. I know it's not quite right, but I'll go back. It's right enough. And we'll do it. What we are doing there, everybody, we are forcing our comeback, okay? And I went online to look what one orthopedic surgeon, did you see that there, online? Um, orthopedic surgeon, that's sign language for online, okay? I just saw myself do that. Piano, it could be anything. Um, one orthopedic surgeon, what he said online about forcing your comeback. Here's what happens, okay? Fire it up there. Number one, you can do more damage than the original injury. Yes, we can then take a longer time for a fuller recovery. When you force your comeback, there are longer-term issues. Anyone? Yes? And then there's pain later in life, okay? And then you re-injure. That's what that says. Re-injure the original injury. Try saying that fast, okay? Re-injure. <laughs> yeah, you can read it, okay? You make it worse than it was the first time, basically, okay? That's what happens. It's true. But you know what else? This is exactly what happens when believers 
who have been obedient to the call of God, who are in the wilderness as they would understand at the moment, this is what happens when they try to come out of the wilderness early. It's when they try to force their comeback. It's when they try to force the word of God and they try to force their hand because they are tired waiting on the promise to come true. They're tired of waiting for God to move. They have never known the length of delay before, as we have said. And what happens is when we force our own comeback, we create longer term issues. I'm going to show you this in a moment. We create pain for later in life and we make the thing worse than it ever needed to be. Anyone ever tried to take the place of God? <laughs> Look at this. Genesis 40, 12 to 14. Joseph's in the prison. He still has the gift and the call of God in his life. Can you imagine what it had been like for Joseph? And why I talk about Joseph a lot, I think it's a very inspiring character. Full of the dreams, full of the call of God, full of the greatness, favor, lovely coat, whatever, all the rest of it. Suddenly, he finds himself in a place of restriction very far away from his brothers. And that's important to remember because prophesying to his brothers is part of the dream. So the further he gets from the brothers, the more likely he is to think that the dream will never come true. It is now impossible because his brothers are intrinsic to the fulfillment of the promise God has made him. No brothers, no fulfillment. Okay, but he still has the gift. He has the gift within him to the dreams. So the the, the wine guy and the food guy, the baker, he comes in, they're in prison as well. And this is the conversation. They had dreams. And they're like, can any, but what do these dreams mean? And Joseph's like, well, let me tell, tell me the dream. And here we go, 40 verses 12 to 14. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. Three branches are the three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to when you were his cup bearer. And then he says this, okay? He should never have said this. He said, but when all goes well with you, would you remember me? Would you show me kindness? Would you mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of prison? What was he doing? He was trying to force his own comeback. How do you know? Look at Genesis 41 verse 1. Look at this. When two full years had passed, that little line cost him two years, 700 odd more days in prison because he tried to force his own comeback. There he was understandably, in his humanity, okay, had gotten tired on waiting on God. Of course, we all get it. And he tried to force his own thing, and it cost him two more years in prison. The orthopedic surgeon online was right. He made the thing worse. Joseph tried to get back in the gym before he was ready, and he put the shoulder out, and it took two more years to put it back in. Is that making sense? Then you go to Genesis 15 and Genesis 16. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we recount the story of Abram and Sarah, promised by God in their old life. I mean, imagine that. In their old life, promised by God that in this time next year, you will have a son. Sarah even laughs out loud to the face of the Lord almost. 
But what happened, everybody? They tried to force their own comeback. And they give birth to Ishmael. Talk about pain in later life and creating longer term issues. Today, everyone, Ishmael is the father of the Arab nation. Isaac is the father of the Jewish nation. How's that going? There is generational and societal implications when we try to force our own comeback. So let's not do it. We're going to do what David does. First Samuel, I want to see First Samuel on Netflix. It reads like a blockbuster. It's epic stuff, okay? God wants David to be the new king of Israel. David's a win, okay? God sends Samuel to anoint him, okay, as the new king, but he's still a boy. And it would be years and years and years from the day of anointing to the day of appointing, okay? It was going to take forever, okay? When you're that age, everything's longer. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Okay, I can't imagine what it would be like to live with all of that anointing, okay, and then nowhere to put it. I won't be forced on that comeback. Ah, I'd be a nightmare. It's like spiritual ADD, wouldn't it? Really would. It would be years and years. Anyway, read the story. David, he goes home. Goliath, he kills Goliath. People love him. Saul gets him on the payroll, brings him into the palace. And because people love David, he can sing and fight. And he's handsome and ruddy in complexion, the Bible says, whatever that means. He tries to kill him. Saul tries to kill him. But I'm anointed. This wasn't meant to be. David, then what? He goes on the run. Is that in the plan, Lord? Sure, I'm anointed. No, I'm on the run in a cave with every dropout in Israel for friends. The distressed and the distracted and the who cares. I wonder, did he look around him and go, I'm anointed for such a time as this? Seriously, though? And then one day, oh, this must be the moment. First Samuel 24, Saul's on the hunt. David's in a cave. Saul goes, oh, I need to go to the loo. Excuse me, lads. Goes into a cave. <laughs> this is kind of embarrassing for Saul all the same, isn't it? Who likes been watched at the toilet? Nobody. He's whatever. And David and the boys are standing watching the cave in the dark. And David's men are like, this is it. This is the moment. This is the moment. Go for it. Get him. Knife him. He'll never know you're here. So David dips. Cuts a goes out. An incredible thing. Saul goes out. David's men were convicted. This is a divine setup. You're meant to be king. You're anointed to be king. Samuel's done the thing. Big Samuel, the main man. You're covered in all. You've got this. You've, this is it. Go kill him. Get him. David sneaks up. He cuts the corner of the robe. That's all he does. And then the Bible tells us this in 1 Samuel 24, 5 and 6. Look, it says, afterward, David was conscience stricken. 
That's I just cut a wee corner. For cut off a corner of his robe, he said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. What was David doing? He was refusing to force his own comeback. I'm going to trust in the Lord. He refused to do it. And so when we go to our text today, and it's a very simple line, it's a, it's a throwaway comment, but if you look at verse 2, she says, The woman proceeded to do as the man of God had said, and she as her family went away, and they stayed in the land of the Philistines seven years. Not four. Not five. Not six. Elisha says, stay away for seven. And the Bible says she stayed away for seven. And I want to encourage you. This woman simply refused to force her comeback. I'm not going to walk back into my home, into my life, into my future one minute early outside of the revelation of God. If a revelation of God put me out, it'll be a revelation of God that will bring me in. Amen. And I want to encourage you the same. In your waiting, in your wondering, in your hoping, and in your despair, and in your confusion, don't force your Come back. If God led you out, God will lead you back in, in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. The second thing we've got to do in the middle is this. We've got to add then some faith to our walk back. So we're not going to force our comeback. We're going to add faith to our walk back. I was a Christian about six months, February 1998. Living and working in Belfast. And I went for a job, hated it, and I went to, for a job interview in Derry. This firm of property developers, they were builders, they wanted their own estate agency. They wanted their own little kind of shop, window vibe thing going on. I'd never been to Derry. When you live in Belfast, the only way and reason you would need to go to Derry was to go through it to get to Donegal, where you'd spend the weekend in Rosnowla, Rafoe, somewhere nice and scenic and all of that. Derry, what a Derry, the fight there. So we just, that we forget Derry, okay? But I've never been, I was 25 or so, and I thought, well, let's just whatever. Anyway, I got the job. And I was praying at one night in Judith's room in her house in Ballymena. We weren't married at the time. I was just praying away, you, you, kind of young believers, still whatever. Lord, you know, you know when you pray, Lord, do you want me to go? Is this, this right? You know, it's all the big right things you do when you have these monumental moments uh, in your life. Now, I don't know where your theology is. I don't even know where my theology is on the audible voice of God, okay? So I... I you can pick that up with Sean when he comes back. He loves those questions. Um, however, I'm convinced to this day that I heard the voice of God tell me to go. Go. So off I went. And i got to be honest. In the naivete of my fledgling faith, okay, I thought the go of God meant everything it was going to be easy. The business would flourish. I'd be a millionaire in a week and a half. I'd overtake the property world in the Northwest, and then I would go south and the whole island and the world and whatever. It would be wonderful. It would be fantastic. Not so much. But how many people know that when God asks you to do something or to go somewhere and you're convinced about it, as I said at the start of this, okay, there's usually a few lessons to be learned along the way. 
Yes. Honestly, we 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 gotta we gotta be real about what it is to follow Jesus. Okay. And I've got to tell you, with three to four years of moving to Derry, I found myself married and out of work. When I drove off, Trill and I got, I'll never forget it, we got married on the 2nd of December. We were somewhere, Prague or somewhere from the honeymoon. I nipped back to her house after we come home, to her dad, right? And to pick up some wedding presents as you do. And I'm leaving and he's at the car window and I've, I've screwed, the, screwed the car window down back in the day. Remember that? How long? But there now in a minute. <laughs> screwing down. All the action today. Anyway, and he had a pitchfork in his hand. I think he was doing something in the garden. I hope it wasn't deliberate. But he leant in with a pitchfork and he says, you look after her, won't you? <laughs> so it was good then six months after I got married to be unemployed. Unbelievable. And in those four, first four or five years, the thing, everybody, that kept me full of faith was recalling that night in Judith's room where I determined the voice of God to go. I had to, I don't know when I was coming back. I wasn't going to force my comeback, but I knew that I wanted to add some faith to my walk back. Because I was walking back and I needed to apply the word of the Lord to it. So when we first meet the Shunammite woman, Elisha wants to intercede for her kindness. Elisha travels back and forth. He calls to her house for some food. She says to her husband, let's build a little room for the man of God when he comes past. He can stay with us. You kind of know the story. Elisha's kindness. He says, what can I do for you? Gehazi, his servant, says, do you know what? She hasn't got a family. There's no son. Elisha goes, this time next year to have a boy. She's like, don't do that. Don't get my hopes up. But lo and behold, this time next year, she has a son. Son gets a little bit older in the field with his dad. Something goes off inside his head and he passes away. She went straight, okay? She called her husband, 2 Kings 4.22. She called her husband and said, listen, please send me one of the servants and get me a donkey, right? So I can go to the man of God, go to Elisha and return. And the husband said, well, why are you going to him today? And he asked, and it's not a new moon. It's not the Sabbath, not the Sunday. What are you going to the man of God for? And she turns and she says to him, it's all right. It's not all right. Her son's lying deceased in Elisha's room. It is far from all right. Her precious gift from God, her only son has just died. God responded to her goodness, gave her a child, and now he was dead. So what does she do? And I love this. She goes right to Elisha. Right back to the revelation of God, the first time for her son. And she brings Elisha back. She acts some faith to her walk back. Now in our story in 2 Kings 8, she does the same thing. Seven years in a foreign country. She heads up to the house and she learns, the king has taken my house. The keys don't work. Who's changed the locks? Where's my stuff? Well, she's incensed. It's my house. This is my farm. I've worked for this. So I think this woman's from Derry or Dublin, one of the two. I'm going to the king. Come you with me. And off they go to the king, taking the boy. I've been obedient to the Lord. He told me to leave. Now I've come back. Back to what? And this time, she doesn't go to Elisha, 
But she brings her son to the king to stand before him. Why? Because she knows this, that if God can restore her son, God can restore her home. She brings a story, a faith story. And here's what I want to release to you today. She allowed personal stories of healing to become present stories of hope, which fueled a restorative faith in God. Amen? And I want to encourage you to do the same. I know you've obeyed. And I know so far the future does not look anything like of the revelation that God has given you for your future. But you have stepped out. You have already stepped up. And there has been nothing. Some days it's one step forward and four steps back. Sometimes you think life is actually getting worse. I think I'm going backwards faster than forward, even slower. Well, I want to encourage you. The word of the Lord to you is this, that in this moment, moment and in this day allow personal stories of healing stories of breakthrough stories of provision audible voices of go just whatever it is to become a present story of hope to fuel faith within you that God will restore the promises that he has made you Draw down on your testimony. Draw, and I love the stories of others, but believe the stories that you have for you. Believe in the stories that God has moved in your life. I don't have, yes, you do. There's a story in you. Your whole life is a story. You are a living book. A book that is being written by the pen of God. I think of Elijah. Elisha's boss. Of all the ways that he saw God move everybody. And yet Jezebel makes a threat. He weakens and he folds up in anxiety and depression. And i got to be honest, it's so easy for you and me to do the same. We get a, a visible threat compared to an invisible promise. We're going to believe the visible threat every single time. So we need something substantial to put our faith in. And no one can argue with the God stories in your life. Amen. No one can take away the moment you met the Lord. Lord. So I want to encourage you. I want you to enter the place of prayer, into the posture of worship. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the time you healed. Father, for the time you provided, the time you were faithful, the time you said no, the time you answered, the time, Lord, you did whatever. And get into that place and get some faith for your walk back. And the final thing is this, really briefly. Is number three, that the take back precedes the give back. Anyone familiar with the story of Esther? Oh, wow, we've got to preach on that, bad boy. Oh, that's a good book right there. Tells all about the story of a foiled attempt of a man called Haman. Everybody go, boo, boo, boo. Haman, boo. He's the kind of guy in the pantomime walks on the stage. Boo, he's behind you. That's okay. Him. Haman. He wants to cleanse Persia of all the Jews. Esther, however, is the queen. And she's married to King Xerxes, king of Persia. Esther has a, cur a cousin called Mordecai. Haman hates Mordecai because Mordecai gets in his way. So Haman has this idea. I'm going to have a plan and I'm going to execute Mordecai. That's a really condensed history right there. But here's the cool thing. On the night before 
Haman was going to get Mordecai. The gallows were built. They were there. The rope was there. That was there. The night before, this is what happens. Esther 6, 1 and 2. That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the book of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. So these two boys were going to kill the king. Mordecai learned about it and got in the way of that. And the king knew nothing about it until the night before Mordecai was due to be killed. There was no chance that Mordecai would now be executed. Not at all. In the middle of the night, at just the right time, unknown to Mordecai, unknown to Esther, God intervened and made a king favorable towards Mordecai and in that moment restores him to life, elevates him to society, and now is a trusted noble. In Genesis 41, Pharaoh has dreams that trouble him. At long last... The cupbearer to the king. Oh, I'm in Egypt. I knew a guy. And he tells Pharaoh all about Joseph. And he says, you know what? I bet Joseph could make sense of your dreams. Well, get him up here. Get him out of prison. You know how it goes. Joseph's released from prison, has a wash and a shave. I love the detail. Cleaned him. The Bible says he went for a shave. Seriously. Amazing, right? Get out of prison. He interprets the dream. You know, elevated the prime minister. What I love about this is Joseph had not a clue. I remember sitting in my house, unemployed and married, an honor, praying, and Lord, I'm sure you said go. (laughs) No, yes, I'm sure you said go. I'm not sure this is what you meant, is it though? And I'm praying, I prayed a lot, all day, weeks. Now one day, there's a knock at my door. I'm like, who is that in the middle of the day? Nobody brings good news during the day. You know what I'm saying to you? What is this? And I go to the the front door, and standing in front of me is a property developer. He says, I've just been talking to a mortgage consultant about you. Do you want to start a new business? And long story short, we started a new business. And the whole thing was unknown to me. In our story, we see the same thing. The Shunammite woman, I love this, is walking to the king. And as she's walking to the king, the king's talking about her. And you need to know today, That as you walk to the king, the king is talking about you. Amen. And some of you this week, let me go this far, are going to have a moment of restoration. Because right now there are people in authority, in positions, that God is moving and shaping to answer the very revelation and the promise that he's given you. And for others that may not be. But I want to encourage you either way. Don't waste your wait. That's another talk for another day. Worship team, come on back up.
Come on, let, let's stand. One more thing. One more tiny thing. And number four, the give back is always greater than the throwback. In other words, everybody, you can play away, guys, when you're ready. In other words, it's always worth waiting on. Joseph received more than he lost. See, he lost a coat, but he gained a kingdom. Mordecai received more than he lost. He gained nobility in Persia as a Jew. Huge thing. I gained more than I lost in that moment. I don't want to encourage you, the, the Shunammite woman, my goodness. She received much more than she lost. She got her farm, she got her home, she got a lump sum income more than she ever could have imagined. Imagine if she had to come back early, right into the middle of the famine, fought the king. Gehazi wouldn't have been there, wouldn't have set the whole thing up, wouldn't have learned about Elisha. Who's your son? He did what? I don't believe you. Do you see? What happens when we wait? How God brings it to pass. How he makes it happen. Father, we just love you this morning. We don't like the waiting, but we love you. And Father, we're reminded today that you're really sovereign, that you're really in charge, you're really in control. And Lord, as we are walking to the King, let us remember that line, the King is talking about us. That Father, you are orchestrating purposes and places and people that will initiate our comeback so we don't have to force it. So, Father, I want to pray. I want to pray right now for everybody in the room. Lord, this will be all of our story at some point in the journey. And I want to pray, Lord God, for extra super faith for those in the room who are waiting in the wilderness through a sense of obedience. I've obeyed, Lord, and I don't understand. Lord, I pray would you help us draw down those stories of faith draw down all the ways that you've already moved in our life draw down all the incredible promises you've already answered in our lives Lord and help us to lean into those may they become fuel for the days ahead and I particularly want to pray Lord for those Lord I want to just declare I want to speak life into and maybe even just use this word but prophesy but in the coming days and weeks Lord God you will bring about restorative circumstances that we didn't initiate a call will come a letter will arrive an email will somebody will knock at the door something will happen that we just weren't expecting out of the blue and as we learn about it we'll discover how God you have been moving and working in the wings so Father we love you give us faith in the room this morning